Hello and welcome to Wheel Talk with Abby Mahaney. Welcome to episode two of Wheel Talk. Uh, I'd just like to start out by saying thank you so much to everybody who has been supportive of me doing this podcast. I've heard from a lot of people on Twitter and Facebook um, telling me that they they love the podcast and they love the idea of the podcast. I have a lot more women lined up to be on the show and I'm super excited to share their stories and everything that they have going on. Um, I'll release the names shortly so stay tuned for that and uh thank you so much for for all the support so next on the podcast i have my teammate for this year amber pierce uh amber is an incredible person in general um she's been racing for a while both in america and in europe she's been on european teams um for much of her career She has her own project podcast going on right now called the Network for Advancing Athletes, and I highly recommend checking that out. It's all about women in sport, and it's it's a really cool project, Um, so you can find that on iTunes as well. Uh, When Amber and I sat down to talk, there was a lot of laughter that happened in the conversation, which is pretty normal when you sit down to have have a chat with Amber, so... Um, I hope you enjoy this talk, and I hope that you get some some good advice from it. Um, thanks. All right, so um, first of all, how did you get into the sport? Wow. Um, we're digging right in here. <laughs> don't, we don't start. We don't start off easy. You're just like just with the hard questions right away. <laughs> well, the really short version is I'm just that bad of a runner. Like I'm a really <laughs> terrible runner. So I was a swimmer growing up, and I swam in college, and I ended up getting a shoulder surgery. Uh, shoulder surgery, uh, and it kind of that put a damper on things for my swimming career. But um, I really, I really missed being active and being fit. So I decided I'd start running and I was in grad school at the time. So I was working in a lab and the people in the lab were getting really annoyed with me coming in and complaining about shin splints every day. And so at one point my advisor just said, Oh, for the love of God, just take my bicycle. And he actually gave me a bike, um, which was great. And I was working in Monterey, California at the time at a satellite campus. So it's an incredibly scenic place to be and an amazing place to ride bicycles. So I was actually, ride from my apartment down to Cannery Row and along the ocean into the lab and it was a really easy place to love, uh, fall in love with uh, riding bicycles. So um, that was kind of how I got started riding but it wasn't until some fellow graduate students talked me into joining the mountain bike team that I kind of got into the racing scene and um, I, I was talking about this earlier. I just. I really wasn't interested in racing or being competitive whatsoever because I'd really burned out on that as a swimmer. Uh, but my, my fellow students convinced me based on the fact that the parties were so awesome. <laughs> They're like, you don't really have to take the racing that seriously. Are these the road parties or the mountain bike parties? These were the mountain bike parties. The mountain start. bike parties are like off the hook. <laughs> they were so much fun. We basically road trip all weekend out to the middle of nowhere, set up camp. 
I mean, we'd have bonfires and there would be, the pixie bike races were really fun. Have you heard of the pixie bikes races? No. Okay, this was amazing. The name alone makes me want to do it. Oh my gosh, so much fun. So people would, would show up with these tricked out little teeny tiny kids bikes and we would build jumps over bonfires and I, it was it was insane. I'm I'm just gonna put it out there. I did not actually jump over a bonfire myself. I don't I do not have the skill for All that. Alright, so tonight we build a bonfire. <laughs> so we we get this going. We gotta like, you know, we gotta work on that. This is happening. <laughs> Before retirement we need to build a bonfire and you need to jump over the bonfire. Oh my it's gosh, gonna be I awesome. Love this. I love this. Photos will be taken, video it's gonna go viral. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Absolutely no pressure. There's pressure. There's tons There's of pressure. Definitely pressure. <laughs> So the pixie bike races were amazing and you can imagine, I mean, these were just super fun parties like out in the woods camping. And then at some point you rode your bike. So it was really easy to love racing, quote unquote racing when there was zero pressure. It was all about the camaraderie and the parties. Um, and it was the same group of people who decided that, um, or who w moved on to do the road racing season, which came up next. And so they were like, Hey, you had fun mountain biking, come out and do the road. It's just like mountain biking, which lies. <laughs> Exactly. Straight up lies. So not the same. <laughs> but it was the same group of people and I'd become really close with them. So I, I was into it. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. I definitely want the opportunity to come hang out some more. And so I got into the road riding and um, again, I just really, I didn't want to be competitive. I just, I just wanted to have fun. And it was, I had a lot of kind of personal demons from being a competitive swimmer that I, I never quite got a handle on as a swimmer. Um, and, it, and it was one of those things where it's kind of like, I didn't, I didn't want to go there again. It's really easy to kind of go to a dark place um, when you when you have an identity as an athlete and you kind of have this kind of perfectionist personality. Um, I didn't want to go there again, and I kind of like this idea of being able to be in a space where I didn't have to be competitive. I didn't have any pressure to perform. But um, I so stepping back. So one of the strategies I used was I did, I, I refused to, to do structured training. So I, I wouldn't train. And then I would show up to the races and just, I would just be there to be with the team and have fun. And I would, you know, I'd show up fit enough to do what I needed to do, but I didn't want to be there for me and my own results. I feel like that's so important. Like when you start out, if you start out with just like right off the bat structured training, it's so easy to get burned out. Like yeah. you need to do, like everyone needs to do base miles. You know, it's just like when you just start out racing or just start riding, you just do like tons of base miles. Exactly, and it's those big adventure rides where you're going out with a group of friends. Like, so where I was in college, I went to college at Stanford and we were, we were not that far from the coast. So riding out to the coast and back would be like a four hour ride, which as a beginning cyclist, that felt like this massive adventure. Oh, like for sure. Four like, hours is so long when you first start oh out. Oh my gosh. But it was like, you know, we'd go up in the mountains and we'd drop down and we'd go to the coast and you'd see the ocean. And along the way, you're learning all these new roads. You're try, you know, trying all these dirt connectors. You're stopping at this bakery and that bakery. And it just feels so, it feels so freeing. Yeah. You get to explore all these new places that you hadn't really seen before and you're exploring them under your own power. Um, so that was really cool. Like just going out and exploring and getting into these crazy adventures and it didn't feel like training. It just felt like, Hey, we're going to go explore the mountains and get into some crazy adventures and go eat some bread at this crazy bakery that's up in the middle of the woods and yeah. then find this really great coffee shop down on the coast. And I went to this one bakery, side tangent. I went to yes. this one bakery Let's do it. when I was like going to Katie Hall's wedding and I don't remember what it was called, but it was like. Oh my God. It was so good. And Thomas and I, we got like 10 different things and we just like sat at a picnic table and just like split everything. And it was like, 
It was incredible. It's so great. Yeah, that's like the best part about like, I don't know, riding. You yeah. get to see so much. And yeah, and you get to just explore these tiny little towns. Oh, yeah. And funny little roads. And you get to, you know, then every road you do, like every time you go on one of these big adventure rides, you, you pass like, I don't know, 10, 15 roads where you're going, I wonder where that goes. Yeah, I want to ride on that road. Right. And so then the next weekend you go out and you check out check out that little mystery road and where does it go? And and that part of cycling, I think, is what really drew me to it and made me fall in love with it. And I think that that's, you know, you talk about base miles. I mean, that's a great way to get base miles and not even feel like you're training. And, and you're just, you're connecting with all of the things that are universally lovable about bikes, right? And it's funny, like, when people stop racing, they always go back to the base miles. Mm -hmm. Like, people stop racing and they stop the intensive training, but, like... I know some some people that were retired that still ride like five hours a day because that's like that's the awesome part. It's right. Like you see the new roads and you explore and you get lost and you get flats, but like you're out there just like enjoying the fresh air. Right. And then even when things go wrong, it, instead of it feeling like a bad day, it, it just it turns an adventure into an epic adventure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the epic adventures are the ones like we remember for years. Right. <laughs> exactly. One of the first rides I ever did with the Stanford team, they took us out on this route. Um, with the, the classic route was the classic coastal that went, took us through this little town called Pescadero. But there was a cool variation of that route that took us down um, what was called Old Hall Road. And it's this crazy fire road that goes through state forest and it's incredibly beautiful. But the time that we did it, they had just resurfaced this dirt road with massive gravel. It was like oh, the no. size of your fist. It was so <laughs> brutal. And I'd never really done a big ride like this before. And I was on the old steel bike that my advisor had given me with the down tube shifters. And we're like grinding it out over this gravel road. It was super brutal. But I was like, yeah, check me out. I'm doing it. It was like, <laughs> I'm so intense. I'm like bouncing around. I'm like, this is epic. We get through that section of the road, we get back on the pavement, and um, all of a sudden, I just started bonking. I was like going backwards through the group, and so the coach was like, you know, he started sending people back one at a time, like, all right, you gotta give her a draft. So he'd send one person back, and I'd be like trying to hang on the wheel, and I was just like falling backwards. So he'd send one more person, one more person, and eventually it was like the entire team was forming this like parabola in front of me. <laughs> to shelter me. We just gotta get him we home. We just gotta get her there. Goal number one. <laughs> So we finally, finally roll into Pescadero, which was like our, our, our goal, the town. And everybody's just shoving bars in my face, like, eat this, drink this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking like, oh man, I've never felt so bad in my whole life. So I sat there and I just stuffed my face. I ate so much food and it was like bread from the bakery and clip bar and this and that. And just like shoveling it down. I'm like, okay. Cause then I had to get back. Right. right. Everyone's like, oh man, is she going to get back over the hill? Cause we just come over the ridge and we had to climb back. So it was <laughs> like, okay, here we go. So we start to roll, my rear wheel wouldn't turn. Oh no. It turned out that when we were riding along that gravel road, bouncing all over the place, when I was feeling super epic and badass, um, that my rear wheel had come loose. Oh no. It had shoved itself up against the frame. And so the whole time that I thought I was bonking, it was basically because like the wheel could barely turn because it was jammed up. And then you're just like <laughs> so full of food. And you're like, yeah. I'm, I don't see how this will ever end well. <laughs> Like, hey guys, I actually feel great. Let's do this. <laughs> and then Amber pulled everyone home single-handedly. I think I may have been talking people's ears off on the way home because then the coach was like, "If you can talk that much right now, you should be on the front." <laughs> I was like, oh really? Okay, I didn't know that. I'll be on the front. Keep talking some more. 
great. And that's when people stopped invited, inviting Amber on group rides. Yeah, they're like, man, that girl's a pain. <laughs> Don't bring her out again. So fast forward and you were on, you've been on teams in Europe, you've been on teams in the States. So what was the first team and how, like, which teams have you been on? So I started out with Webcore Pro Cycling. I was lucky because there was a, a women's team based in the Bay Area where I was racing when I got started. So we actually got to race against each other in a lot of the local and regional races. So they kind of see, got got to see me as a racer and we got to interact a lot. So that really helped open the door for me with them. And at the end of my first season, um, I guested for them at Cascade. And then by the end of that season, signed a contract with them. And I was with them for two years. And then I raced for Team Tibco for two years. And um, in the middle, the last year I was racing for Tibco, I actually moved overseas to Austria. And then I raced with an Austrian-based team, Quota. And then I raced for Diodora for three years. And then um, I ended up coming back here and racing with Optum in 2014. And then Pepper Palace 2015. And then I went back and raced with an Austrian-registered UCI team last year, which was Vita Logic. Great team. I love those. I love those women. They're amazing. <laughs> um, but that team didn't continue this year, and I'm really lucky and psyched to be racing with Colovita Bianchi this year. So, um, when when you moved to Austria, was it like a cycling based thing, or were you like were you like I'm going to move to Austria to be a professional cyclist in Europe, or was it a life thing? It was a little bit of both. So both my husband and I were graduating at the same time. He was finishing his PhD and I was finishing my master's. Um, we weren't married at the time, but we knew that we wanted to go someplace together. And he was kind of looking at where he could apply for postdocs. And we had a long talk about it and wanted to go someplace that was going to be as good for him and his career as it would be for me and my career. And at that point, I really wanted to focus 100% on cycling because it, it was really hard, you know, to balance both. Um, and so we looked at different opportunities in Europe because that was sort of where I wanted to be for racing. And we examined, so he applied to a few different positions and then we kind of looked at what those places would be like for me in terms of training. And it seemed like Graz was going to be the best fit because um, he would be able to work at an institute that was world renowned in biomechanics, which was what his field is. And smarty um, pants. he's pretty smart. <laughs> and um, I would be, able to train really well there because it's beautiful training and riding there in fact it's one of the most beautiful places i've ever ridden my bike i I've didn't know pictures. that i've seen pictures so and it looks amazing i know i feel like i got really lucky because i didn't know i mean i'd never been to austria before in my life i didn't speak a word of the language but it was just sort of this leap of faith that okay this is gonna be good and it, it ended up being really amazing so that was actually really helpful racing over in europe being able to come home to my actual home between the races it definitely gave a sense of kind of psychological and emotional stability, which is really important because that's, I mean, cycling is a very emotional roller coaster, if you will. So it was really nice to have that stability to come home to between the races. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you see so many girls that like go over to Europe purely to race. And I mean, some, some are super successful, mm -hmm. um, but some, you know, they, they leave their families behind and, and it doesn't, it's hard. It's really hard. And I think a lot of people don't anticipate how isolating it is. And the reason it's so isolating is I mean, even if you, you're somewhat familiar with the language, it's really difficult to communicate with other people in a different language, the way that you can communicate in your own native language. So I eventually learned to speak German. I eventually learned to speak Italian. Um, but the hardest thing was, was connecting with people because 
even if you can get your point across, it's very different from being able to jump into a conversation and interject a joke now and then. I mean, you don't realize what it takes to actually make a joke in the, in the stream of a conversation until you're trying to do it in another language because <laughs> you're sitting there focusing so hard, trying to understand what everybody is saying and trying to understand it quickly enough that you can keep pace and actually interject something but at the same time to think of something witty to interject and know how to say it in that language and then time it well. And it's, there's a lot to it. And sometimes, you know, just making one joke with my teammates would seriously make my entire week. I would just think like, I'm a rock star. Yeah. Hey guys, remember that one time, like two weeks ago when I made a joke, <laughs> you, you laugh, but it's so true. You it's all so laughed true. and it was awesome. And there was bonding. Do you remember that? Like two weeks ago. It was awesome. <laughs> I'll let you know when I come up with a new one. Give me like, give me like 10 more days. I, it's brewing in my it's head. Brewing. I just need like 10 more days to just fine tune it. You'll get it eventually. It's really true. And it's a hard thing because there's this whole side of your personality that nobody can see. And you feel like people don't have the opportunity to really know you. And so, and that's even being in a situation where you're hanging out with people that you get along with, that you feel like you have their support and you know, it's even harder if you're in a situation where it's not a healthy situation and it's negative, or maybe it's kind of a to toxic dysfunctional team. And that, you know, assuming that everything about the environment is good and positive, even then it's incredibly isolating. When you go to the grocery store, not being able to communicate with people or read the labels on the food, um, struggling to learn how to pay your bill and understand what the bill actually says. These are really basic things that we take for granted living in a country where we understand and can speak the native language, but you get over to an un unfamiliar place and suddenly you are, you are really, really alone. And I actually felt really isolated even being over there with David uh, and we had each other, you know, and, and it was even then it's like you're away from your broader support network. And, you know, I was grateful to have his support because it certainly helped a lot. But even then, I mean, I look around at the other athletes I've seen that come over on their own. And I just think that, I mean, it's gotta be so hard. I, it yeah. was hard enough. Props, <laughs> props to them. Cause yeah. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. It's super stressful. <clears throat> um, that's awesome. So when you were on uh, Webcore and then on Tipco, did you race in Europe at all? Or when you got to Austria, was it like, all right, I'm doing this? <laughs> I had done some projects with the national team. So um, when I was racing for Webcore and Tipco, neither of those teams at the time that I was on them were doing projects in Europe as trade teams. So I was relying mostly on uh, doing projects with the national team. And I'd done several of those. So I at least had some idea of what the racing was like. I had raced in France, I'd raced in Belgium, I'd raced in Italy. So I had an idea how the Peloton is a little bit different in those countries versus the US and even how the Peloton moves a little bit differently country to country. But it's a lot different than kind of, you know, jumping in with both feet and being fully immersed in the cycling culture of Europe. Um, so when I raced for the Austrian team in 2010, that was the first year that it was really like, okay, both feet in, we're doing this. Uh, unfortunately, I ended up breaking my pelvis that year. So um, I missed most of the first half of the season. And I remember my first race back was the Giro Trentino. And I actually did okay there. So it was, you know, that's the second half of that season ended up being a really good one. Um, but yeah, it was, it certainly, it was a big adjustment period nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, racing in Europe is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> it's so true. What, what are, uh, what are your favorite races in Europe? Like, do you, do you like the one days or do you like the stage races? 
I really, really like the stage races. I, I love just getting in there and going full gas every day, day in and day out. And I say that now in a relatively rested state. <laughs> yeah. And there's definitely it's moments. It's like when pregnant women have a second baby and they're like, it's not going to hurt that bad. It's not going to be that bad. <laughs> like I'll be in the middle of a stage race and I'll literally, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I think to myself, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> this is ridiculous. And then you forget the next day. Right, right. You're like, oh, that was awesome. This is great. Let's go again. Yeah. Um, so I actually really enjoy the stage races and fun. I mean, my strength probably is more in like classic style one day races. Um, that's probably better suited to my physiology. So I, I do enjoy those cause you know, I, I'm not a pure climber by any stretch. So, you know, doing the long mountain passes is not really my thing, but I do really enjoy being a part of a team. And that's the part that, that's the part that really, I mean, really strikes a chord with me. So I, I like that aspect of the stage races and that you're just, you're in the trenches. You're just in the trenches with your teammates day in and day out. And it's just like every single day, there's a new challenge. You're not really sure what's going to be, but you've got your team around you and you're there to just dig in and get the work done, whatever, whatever may be required of you that day. So speaking of teams, what do you, where do you see yourself on a team? Like, what do you think your role is on a team? Um, my role's generally been that of domestique, um, opportunistic domestique. We'll put it that way. <laughs> um, I've definitely won a lot of races out of breakaways. So, um, but I do, I feel like I can kind of fill a lot of roles. Uh, again, I'm not a pure climber, but if the climbs aren't too long, if they're not too steep, I can usually get over them and be there to help. Um, I'm a, I have a reasonably fast finish so I can help in a lead out. Uh, I'm good at positioning so I can definitely keep people where they need to be. So I just, I'm one of those people that it's just, if it needs to get done and I'm there, it's going to get done. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll just bleed through my eyeballs to make, <laughs> to make it happen. <laughs> Everyone, every team needs at least three of you. <laughs> so once I get that, uh, that cloning device up and running, we're going to have the best dream team. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be absolutely incredible. I mean, we're going to win everything. Like watch out guys. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, so what was the worst advice you ever received? Oh man, that's a good question. Cause everyone really likes to like give you advice, but sometimes it's just like, yeah, I don't know about that alkaline water. Um. <laughs> there is so much bad advice out there. I, I probably would have to bust out a list. I mean, I was, I, I got a lot of blood testing done. I was told, um, that I didn't have any gluten sensitivity, but I've had a lot of different people tell me that, you know, even though you don't test for, you know, your blood tests don't come back as that you're gluten sensitive, like you should definitely go gluten free. And I'm pretty sure there's no scientific evidence for that. You know? People love the gluten free, you know, and people are legitimately celiac and people have legitimate allergies. And if that's the case, then you definitely should not have gluten, but I am not one of those people. So, you know, I, 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 I really buy into the, uh, carbohydrates are good fuel thing. Cause it's pretty much backed by all science. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the low carbohydrate diet is a big one that really bothers me because for endurance athletes, it's so important to eat carbohydrate and they are not the enemy. Um, another one was one year I was told, um, that I was cornering all wrong by somebody that I thought that I could trust. And it really messed with my head. And for an entire season, every time I went through a corner, I would just thought I was about to die. And I was really frustrated because I had been really good at cornering prior to that. And then I was told that I was doing everything exactly the opposite of what I should do. And I finally was able at the end of the season to go work with my coach who was in Australia at the time. And I went through some corners and he took a look at what I was doing. And he was like, I don't know what the problem is. You're doing this exactly right. And really cornering is one of those things where just 
confidence is 90% of the problem. So if you have no confidence in what you're doing, it's going to completely compromise every corner you go through. So the lesson here, kids, is take everything someone says to you with a grain of salt. Yes, please do. Everything. <laughs> everything. Because <laughs> there are so many quote-unquote experts out there, and if you're trying to come up through the ranks of cycling, everyone is going to have an opinion, everybody's going to become a coach, and they're going to have some idea of what you should do. And really, I mean, go back to the literature. I mean, there's a lot of really good peer-reviewed scientific journal articles that are available online, and I would stick to those if you're a, a science-minded reader. Um, otherwise, a good lesson would be to surround yourself with just you know two or three people that you really, really trust, and have those people kind of be your litmus test and your filter. So know that you can trust those people to give you good advice, and you want those people to be people that you genuinely believe have your best interest in mind. Um, and one of those people, for most of us, is going to be our coach. Yeah. Um, and that's a really important relationship. So, you know, shop around. If you're looking for a coach, if you're thinking about getting into racing, if you want to make a go of it, you definitely need a coach, but you need somebody that you can really connect with and you can really trust. Someone you can be honest with. Um, so it's worth sometimes kind of actually talking to and interviewing several different potential coaches before committing to one, because that's a really, it's a, yeah, you want somebody that you can trust and that's going to help you filter some of this information that you're going to get on every group ride. <laughs> Everyone's an expert. <laughs> Seriously. It's crazy. Uh, have you had the same coach your whole career? No, I've actually had a few different coaches. Um, and for different reasons. And I've, you know, and each coach that I've worked with was, was the person that I needed at that time in my career. And it's definitely, uh, it's definitely the case that your needs as an athlete will change. I mean, you're not going to be the same athlete from year to year and what you need from a coach is going to change as you grow and evolve as an athlete. And that's a really hard thing for a lot of athletes. I was just talking to a young athlete who's going through this right now. She's kind of thinking that maybe she needs a different coach than the coach she's been working with, but she has this sense of loyalty to that relationship. It's tough. I mean, it's like a breakup. It is. Yeah, it is. Cause I like, I loved Allison powers when she was coaching me, but it was like, we kind of, we kind of outgrew. Like I learned a lot from her. I'm sure there was more that I was going to learn from her, but there got to a point where I needed someone else. And I mean, how do you tell somebody that it's hard? It's, I mean, you, you can't really, in yeah. a good way and yeah and that and it doesn't allison is an amazing coach right but but yeah i mean it's so hard yeah and i think most of us i mean we have the sense that you invest in that relationship and you've invested a lot of time and emotion into that relationship and so that makes it even harder to make the call when you feel like you might need to move on and sometimes variety for the sake of variety is important too. You know, oh, you're getting one perspective on everything your whole career. It's sometimes it can be really helpful to have somebody else's eyes on your training plan or a different perspective on, you know, what you're doing and your mental pre preparation. Um, yeah, I, I definitely that. And one thing that I want to emphasize to athletes out there who are, you know, maybe in the situation and they're kind of thinking, well, I, I need to stay with this coach because I've been with them for so long. That's not really a good reason to stay with a coach. You need to kind of evaluate what you need as an athlete and if, if those needs are being met by that relationship. And keep in mind, it is a business relationship. So most coaches who've been coaching for a long time, they're used to this. They understand and they're not going to take it personally. It's, it's, it's a part of, it's a part of their job and a part of their own evolution as a coach. So, um, really, I mean, those are, again, it kind of goes back to, you need to have a relationship with your coach where you can really be honest, even yeah. if the honest part is saying, Hey, I don't know if this is working for us anymore. 
for sure. And I mean, it's the coach's coach's job to yeah understand, like okay, like if you think if you think you know what's best, I'll be here if you right. ever change your mind. Right. And yeah, most coaches are going to have your best interest in mind, and if you get to a point in that relationship where. Um, it's not meeting your needs, then, you know, I think the coach is going to sit back and say, Hey, like then if you're not getting a hundred percent, then you need to go somewhere where you will. And there's nothing, there's really nothing wrong with that. There's no reason to take it personally. And most coaches are, are very understanding about that because they've been through it so many times for sure. For the athletes, it's a lot harder because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen so, so often. So it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I remember when I called Colby Pierce to tell him that uh, I just couldn't afford his coaching anymore, and I was crying. Colby, I'm gonna miss you so much. And he was like, "Abby, it's fine." Right, right, it's totally fine. And then, yeah, then you actually have the conversation. It goes so much easier than you expect it will. For sure, like, Wait, that was that was actually okay. Yeah. Um, so, what was your most embarrassing moment on the bike? Oh man, maybe it was the stuck wheel. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. I have had a lot of probably objectively embarrassing moments on the bike, but I don't embarrass that easily. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, yep, guys, this is me. That happened. <laughs> I own it. <laughs> That's good. You need to be able to laugh at yourself. Yeah, man. Something I've mastered. You know, this is another important point is you can take your craft or your work really seriously without taking yourself seriously. Oh, for sure. And yeah. it's really important not to confuse the two. And then you have way more fun. Yes, you do. <laughs> Cause like at the end of the day, like we're all riding bikes because it puts a smile on our faces. Exactly. If exactly. you forget to laugh while you're riding on a bike by yourself at like, I don't know, something <laughs> stupid, then uh, yep. maybe it's time to, you know, start orienteering or getting back to those adventure base rides oh yeah for sure yeah yeah those are fun <laughs> um so when you ride mix or water i really like mix and i'm one of those people where at the end of a bike race i will just have salt caked all over me so gross it's yeah aren't you glad i i shared that visual <laughs> so glad <laughs> gross amber <laughs> tmi <laughs> No, but that's an important point. I mean, hydration is super important. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the major performance limiting factors. So a good thing to figure out early on is, you know, get an idea of what your sweat rate is, get an idea if you're the kind of person who's going to lose a lot of salt in your sweat. And if you are, then you definitely want to make sure that you're getting, you're taking in plenty of electrolytes when you're on the bike, especially during hot races. So I really like taking in the mix because number one, I need the salt because I lose a lot of salt when I perspire, but also, I, you know, I'm just it's easier for, for me to get the mix down when there's a little bit of flavor to it than just water. For sure. I don't like the taste of water. It's, it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> I need like the sugar in there. To <laughs> something. Prompt something. me to drink it. <laughs> uh, that's actually, I've actually never thought of that. Like if you sweat, you're losing salt and cause I don't, I don't sweat very much. Well, everybody's different. And this is another thing as far as, you know, taking advice from different people you know, somebody's going to come up to you and say like, Oh, you know, this one hydration product works super well for me. And just because it works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And unfortunately I'd love to tell you that there's a secret formula out there. And if you just go do X, Y, and Z, everything's going to be hunky dory and rainbows and puffy clouds, but it's not true because everybody's physiology physiology is different and our bodies are super complex. And I have all these crazy feedback mechanisms 
Um, so really the only way for you to learn what's going to be optimal for you is, is to just try things and go through that trial and error process. But, um, definitely an easy thing to do is just kind of after a hot race, you know, take a look at your skin and your kit. And if you've got like salt, weird crusts. little white lines <laughs> on your kit or Ugh. you got salt crusts on your skin, chances are you might need a little bit more, a little bit more sodium in your, in your drink. So start drinking salt water, ladies and gentlemen. There are better tasting things Don't do than that. pure salt water. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you might throw up. <laughs> Don't do that. No. But it is true that you lose mainly, it's mainly sodium that you lose through your sweat. So that's, that's the primary thing that you need to get back in your electrolyte profile. So like on the topic of hydrating on the bike, what do you like to eat on the bike? Are you like one of those real food people or do you like the, the gels? I just, I, again, it's whatever, whatever works for you, but I have a really hard time chewing solid food on the bike. I just, I can't quite like breathe and chew at the same time. I just can't, I just can't do it. So, um, if it's like a long base ride, adventure ride where I can just kind of sit and catch my breath and chew and try to swallow things down. I hate, I hate that. I, I really, I have a hard time with bars. Um, but you know, I will, if it's like a longer ride, it's pretty low intensity, but Generally, for training rides and races, I'm straight blocks and gels. Side note, for breakfast, are you a sweet person or a savory person? Oh, I go both ways. I swing both ways. It is hard to hard to choose. Like, you wake up some mornings and you're like, man, like, sweet or savory? And you stand there in the, by the fridge for, like, 20 minutes just like, sweet or savory? <laughs> both. <laughs> you both. <laughs> Can you, though? Because then I feel like, like, whatever note you end on, like, that's... That sets the tone for the day. So, like, the last bite you take, is it going to be sweet or savory? Okay, now you've just shifted my entire perspective on this, and I'm going to freak out every time <laughs> I try to eat breakfast now. Thanks a lot. Apologies, Amber. <laughs> I'm here to blow your mind. You And you are. Well, you know, I. it's important on days where I'm doing, like, a big ride or really high-intensity training um, session that I'll try to get a lot of carbohydrate in with breakfast. And sometimes that's either easier to do with a sweet breakfast. Yeah. And then maybe on a recovery day, you know, go for, for the eggs and, and salsa omelet. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. It is pretty good. Mm. Salsa. <laughs> mild or mild or hot. I go medium, medium, safe, safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. I like the flavor. I don't like to, you know, when my mouth when is on, your fire, on fire, I can't taste anything. And then you got to drink milk and then you're back to the like sweet or savory and then Right. And then there's the whole question of like, you know, do you really want to have super spice right before you go out to ride? I don't know. That that just seems like a bad idea. (laughs) Maybe only if you're riding by yourself. Even then. Even then. Even Even then, then. maybe. It's not a good idea. (laughs) So you said you broke your pelvis Mm -hmm. um, in 2010. Mm -hmm. Uh, What other setbacks have you had and how did you overcome them? Quite a few. Quite a few. Yeah. yeah. And some of them, some of them were injuries. I've had my share of injuries. I've been racing for 10 years, so it's bound to happen. Um, and injuries, I feel like at this point I've got a good handle on emotionally. It's not, it's not easy. Um, and actually if, for anyone out there who's going through injury, or if you know someone who's going through injury, I'm just going to plug this amazing website. It's called the injured athletes toolbox. And it's a woman by the name of Heidi Armstrong who runs it. Um, no relation to our favorite LA but she, um, she, she saw this need that there's a lot of athletes out there going through injury that have no help or support with the emotional side of the recovery process. And that's a huge piece of it, right? I mean, there's like, okay, yeah, you rest and you have a a prescription from your PT as far as, you know, what you can do physically coming back and what exercises you can do. But 
there's a lot of emotional and mental fallout with that. And, and a lot of that has to do with like a sense, a loss of your sense of identity as an athlete. Um, there's, there's so many dimensions to this and anybody listening who's ever been injured, I'm sure you're going, you're just nodding along going, yeah, it's really emotionally difficult. But, um, injured athletes toolbox, Heidi has put together some really amazing resources and honestly, just reading through the content on the website can be super helpful in just making you feel like you're not alone, giving you some really great exercises you can do to help manage some of the psychological challenges that go along with healing. So I really recommend that, but, um, more to your point, lots of injuries. Um, and the other, I mean, there's been a lot of other setbacks too, just as far as illness, illness, illness is a tough one. Um, but also even being on teams where, you know, the team is going through a hard time. So financial setbacks, um, that are, you know, really, as an athlete, it's not your job to manage the finances of the team, but if, if the team is having financial issues, um, that definitely trickles down to the athletes. And I've had more than a couple of years where that was really a huge stress and, um, you know, it, it impacts our race calendar, what races we're able to get to. And Home life. I mean, it impacts everything. It impacts everything. And, and I think a lot of athletes have a hard time. I mean, being a professional athlete, a, a dimension, <clears throat> A difference between being an amateur and a professional athlete, obviously, is as a professional, you're dealing with a lot of different contracts. So you're de- dealing with contract negotiation, um, figuring out contract terms up front, but you're also dealing with, you know, upholding your contractual obligations and the expectation that your team is going to uphold theirs. And there are certainly a lot of cases on both the men's and women's side of the sport where that doesn't happen. And as an athlete, that's really hard because we don't have a lot of financial resources to go out and hire a lawyer and have somebody read through the contract and figure out what your rights are. Um, and that can also be a really big emotional and logistical and financial setback that can be hard for a lot of athletes to deal with. Um, and it's a lesser, I don't know, I guess it's a less common one. It's not something that comes to mind when you think of setback, but it's certainly something that a lot of athletes deal with and it's extremely stressful. Have you, um, do you think like you've been in the sport for since dinosaurs from you? Oh, Jesus. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> jokes. Jokes. Um, <laughs> do you think that we are going in a positive direction? Like, do you think you've seen growth or do you think in a way we're, we're going sideways? I kind of think, well, there's two dimensions to this question. One is I think we're losing a lot of races. A lot of the really big um, staples of the women's calendar have have struggled financially and some of them have gone under. And that really, really, I I find that really, really sad. And I don't think it's necessary. um, I don't think it's a necessary outcome. I think that there are different ways that we could could find um, to make those races solvent, so to speak. But um, the other side of the equation is the the enthusiasm on the side of women's cycling and the um, motivation on the part of the athletes to stand up and assert themselves and to start saying, Hey, you know, calling out things that aren't right in the sport. So calling out things like really clear inequality, calling out things like abuse, um, which is unfortunately rampant. And I think that there's a lot more advocacy on, on the part of the athletes. And I think that that's going to lead to some really good things. So I think that it's, it's kind of on the whole, maybe a wash. Um, but I think, so there's some good things and some bad things. Is that diplomatic enough for you? Yeah, sure. I mean, (laughs) keep your answer like safe. Why don't you (laughs) don't make anyone mad? Nope. Nope. Nothing contentious here. (laughs) Uh, Well, um, 
Awesome. Do you have anything else you want to add or almost 40 minutes? Pretty good. Oh man. I could keep going. I know we could talk forever. We could talk forever. Um, We might need to do this again. I know for sure. Amber, (laughs) Amber (laughs) 2.0. I like the sound of that. (laughs) Uh, So we'll stop the recording and just like keep, keep start another one. Keep going. Four podcasts. So I'll do that one. Um, Amazing. Well, I would like to say I'm really looking forward to racing with you this year. I know. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I mean, like, we're at least, like, if we can't win races, we'll at least laugh a lot. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, we are going to be racing in a gluten paradise. We're just going to be, like, you know. Gluten everywhere. Gluten everywhere. We got pasta. I mean, Cola Vita sponsoring us, you guys. Yeah. So, you don't understand how much. I mean, we're actually at the team house at camp right now. We got pasta coming out our ears. There are, there's pasta. so much pasta. It's insane. It's beautiful. And like the gnocchi. I love gnocchi. Gnocchi's amazing. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I'll have gnocchi for breakfast. I have to say though, of all the product here that we've gotten from Cola Vita, my favorite is the balsamic glaze. I, I had actually never had it before, but it is incredible. It's off the hook. Yeah. Savory maple syrup, basically. Yeah. Like, and like, I've, I've asked people this before, but sit here right now and come up with one thing that doesn't taste better with maple syrup on it. I can't. Exactly. I'm just going to tell you. I just can't. I know. Yeah. I'm not even going to try. You can't. You can't. I mean, food product, guys. Let's. <laughs> you, you throw maple syrup on a shoe. Like, it's. Well, I, think I mean, that, it does improve I mean, it the would taste probably of the shoe. Make the shoe tastes better, let's be so, honest. <laughs> so my statement stands. Like, there's nothing out there that maple syrup doesn't make more delicious. Yeah. Oh, it's true. It's all true. Cool. Well, thanks so much. And. Thanks for talking. I'll see you at dinner. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, in 30 minutes. Thank you so much for listening to Wheel Talk, the podcast. If you liked it, leave a review on iTunes. If you didn't like it, let me know how I can improve. You can find me on Twitter at the WT underscore podcast or on my own personal Twitter at Abby Mickey, A-B-B-Y-M-I-C-K-E-Y. It's been awesome recording these podcasts and I can't wait to get the next one out to you. So I'll play you out with Blue Sky by the Almond Brothers. (laughs) 